Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome back, everyone, to 1001 Stories for the Road. This is your host, John Hagedorn. Today, chapters 11 and 12, from a Connecticut Yankee in King Arthur's Court, by Mark Twain. And now, chapter 11, The Yankee in Search of Adventures. There never was such a country for wandering liars, and they were of both sexes. Hardly a month went by without one of these tramps arriving and generally loaded with a tale about some princess or other wanting help to get her out of some faraway castle where she was held in captivity by a lawless scoundrel, usually a giant. Now you would think that the first thing the king would do, after listening to such a novelette from an entire stranger, would be to ask for credentials. Yes, and a pointer or two as to the locality of the castle. Best route to it, and so on. But nobody ever thought of so simple and common sense a thing at that. No... Everybody swallowed these people's lies whole, and never asked a question of any sort or about anything. Well, one day, when I was not around, one of these people came along. It was a she-one this time, and told a tale of the usual pattern. Her mistress was a captive in a vast and gloomy castle, along with forty-four other young and beautiful girls, pretty much all of them princesses. They had been languishing in that cruel captivity for twenty-six years. The masters of the castle were three stupendous brothers— each with four arms and one eye, the eye in the center of the forehead, and as big as a fruit. Sort of fruit not mentioned. Their usual slovenliness in statistics. Would you believe it? The king and the whole round table were in raptures over this preposterous opportunity for adventure. Every knight at the table jumped for the chance, and begged for it. But to their vexation and chagrin, the king conferred it upon me, who had not asked for it at all. By an effort, I contained my joy when Clarence brought me the news. But he could not contain his. His mouth gushed delight and gratitude in a steady discharge. Delight in my good fortune, gratitude to the king for the splendid mark of his favor for me. He could keep neither his legs nor his body still, but pirouetted about the place in an airy ecstasy of happiness. On my side, I could have cursed the kindness that conferred upon me this benefaction, but I kept my vexation under the surface for policy's sake and did what I could to let on to be glad. Indeed, I said I was glad. And in a way, it was true. I was as glad as a person is when he's scalped. 
"'Well, one must make the best of things, "'and not waste time with useless fretting, "'but get down to business and see what can be done. "'In all lies there is wheat among the chaff. "'I must get at the wheat in this case, "'so I sent for the girl and she came. "'She was a comely enough creature, "'and soft and modest, "'but if signs went for anything, "'she didn't know as much as a lady's watch. "'I said, "'My dear, have you been questioned as to particulars?' "'She said she hadn't. "'Well, I didn't expect you had, "'but I thought I would ask to make sure. "'It's the way I've been raised. "'Now you mustn't take it unkindly "'if I remind you that as we don't know you, "'we must go a little slow. "'You may be all right, of course, "'and we'll hope that you are, "'but to take it for granted isn't business. "'You understand that. "'I'm obliged to ask you a few questions. "'Just answer up fair and square, "'and don't be afraid. "'Where do you live? "'When are you at home?' "'In the land of motor, fair sir,' she said. "'Land of motor. "'I don't remember hearing of it before. "'Parents living? "'As to that, I know not if they be yet on live. "'Sit that is many years that I have lain shut up in the castle. "'Your name, please? "'I hight the Demoiselle Alessandra de Cardelois, "'and it please you. "'Do you know anybody here who can identify you?' "'That were not likely, fair lord.' "'I've been come hither now for the first time. "'Have you brought any letters, mm, any documents, "'any proofs that you're trustworthy and truthful?' "'Oh, of surety, no. "'And wherefore should I? "'Have I not a tongue, and cannot I say all that myself?' "'But you're saying it, you know, "'and somebody else's saying it is, is different.' "'Different? How might that be? "'I fear me, I do not understand.' "'You don't understand? "'Land of... "'Why, you see, you see, why, great Scott, can't you understand a little thing like that? "'Can't you understand the difference between your—why do you look so innocent and idiotic?' "'I? In truth, I know not. But an it were the will of God.' "'Yes, yes, I reckon that's about the size of it. Don't mind my seeming excited, I'm not. Let's change the subject. Now, as to this castle, with forty-five princesses in it, and three ogres at the head of it, tell me.' "'Where is this harem?' "'Harem? "'The castle, you understand. "'Where is the castle?' "'Oh, as to that, it is great and strong, "'and well be seen, and lieth in a far country. "'Yes, it is many leagues.' "'How many?' "'Ah, fair sir, it were woundily hard to tell. "'There are so many, and do so lap the one upon the other, "'and being made all in the same image "'and tincted with the same color, "'one may not know the one league from its fellow.' "'nor how to count them except they be taken apart. "'And ye wit well it were God's work to do that, "'being not within man's capacity. "'For ye will note... Oh, "'Hold on, hold on. "'Never mind about the distance. "'Whereabouts does the castle lie? "'What's the direction from here?' "'Ah, please you, sir, "'it hath no direction from here, "'by reason that the road lieth not straight, "'but turneth evermore. "'Wherefore the direction of its place abideth not, "'but it is some time under the one sky, "'and anon under another, "'whereso if ye be minded that it is in the east, "'and wend thitherward, "'ye shall observe that the way of the road "'doth yet again turn upon itself "'by the space of half a circle, "'and this marvel happening again, "'and yet again, and still again, "'it will grieve you that you had thought "'by vanities of the mind to thwart "'and bring to naught the will of him "'that giveth not a castle a direction from a place "'except it pleaseth him, "'and if it please him not, "'will the rather that even all castles and all directions "'thereunto vanish out of the earth, 
"'leaving the places wherein they tarried desolate and vacant, "'so warning his creatures that where he will he will, "'and where he will not he... "'That's okay, that's all right. "'Give us a rest. "'Never mind about the direction. "'Hang the direction. "'I beg pardon. "'I beg a thousand pardons. "'I'm not well today. "'Pay no attention when I soliloquize. "'It is an old habit, an old bad habit, "'and hard to get rid of when one's digestion "'is all disordered with eating food "'that was raised forever and ever before he was born.' "'Good land! A man can't keep his functions regular on spring chickens thirteen hundred years old. "'But come, never mind about that. Let's—' "'Have you got such a thing as a map of that region about you? Now, a good map! "'Is it peradventure that manner of thing which of late the unbelievers have brought from over the great seas, "'which, being boiled in oil, and an onion and salt added thereto, doth—' "'What? A map. What are you talking about? Don't you know what a map is?' "'There, there, never mind. Don't explain. I hate explanations. They fog a thing up so that you can't tell anything about it. Run along, dear. Good day. Show her the way, Clarence.' "'Oh, well, it was reasonably plain now why these donkeys didn't prospect these liars for details. It may be that this girl had a fact in her somewhere, but I don't believe you could have sluiced it out with a hydraulic, nor got it with the earlier forms of blasting, even. It was a case for dynamite.' "'Why, she was a perfect ass, "'and yet the king and his knights had listened to her "'as if she'd been a leaf out of the gospel. "'It kind of sizes up the whole party. "'And think of the simple ways of this court. "'This wandering wench hadn't any more trouble "'to get access to the king and his palace "'than she would have had to get into the poorhouse "'in my day and country. "'In fact, he was glad to see her, "'glad to hear her tale. "'With that adventure of hers to offer, "'she was as welcome as a corpse is to a coroner. "'Just as I was ending up these reflections,' "'Clarence came back. "'I remarked upon the barren result of my efforts with the girl. "'Hadn't got hold of a single point that could help me to find the castle. "'The youth looked a little surprised, or puzzled, or something, "'and intimated that he had been wondering to himself "'what I had wanted to ask the girl all those questions for. "'Why, great guns,' I said. "'Don't I want to find the castle? "'And how else would I go about it?' "'La, sweet your worship, one may lightly answer that, I ween.' "'She will go with thee. They always do. She will ride with thee.' "'Ride with me? Nonsense. But of a truth she will. She will ride with thee. Thou shalt see.' "'What? She browse around the hills and scour the woods with me, alone? And I as good as engaged to be married? Why, it's scandalous. Think how it would look.' "'My, the dear face that rose before me. The boy was eager to know all about this tender matter.' I swore him to secrecy and then whispered her name. Puss Flanagan. He looked disappointed and said he didn't remember the countess. How natural it was for the little courtier to give her a rank. He asked me where she lived. In East Har... I came to myself and stopped, a little confused, and then I said, Never mind now. I'll tell you sometime. And might he see her? Would would I let him see her some day? It was but a little thing to promise. Thirteen hundred years or so, and he's so eager. So I said, yes, of course. But I sighed. I couldn't help it. And yet there was no sense in sighing, for she wasn't born yet. But that is the way we are made. We don't reason where we feel. We just feel. My expedition was all the talk that day and that night, and the boys were very good to me, and made much of me, and seemed to have forgotten their vexation and disappointment and come to be as anxious for me to hive those ogres and set those ripe old virgins loose as if it were themselves that had the contract. 
Well, they were good children, but just children, that's all. And they gave me no end of points about how to scout for giants, and how to scoop them in. And they told me all sorts of charms against enchantments, and gave me salves and other rubbish to put on my wounds. But it never occurred to one of them to reflect that if I was such a wonderful necromancer as I was pretending to be, I ought not to need salves or instructions or charms against enchantments, and least of all, arms and armor, on a foray of any kind, even against fire-spouting dragons and devils hot from perdition, let alone such poor adversaries as these I was after, these commonplace ogres of the back settlements. I was to have an early breakfast and start at dawn, for that was the usual way, but I had the demon's own time with my armor, and this delayed me a little. It is troublesome to get into, and there is so much detail. First you wrap a layer or two of blanket around your body, for a sort of cushion, and to keep off the cold iron. Then you put on your sleeves and a shirt of chain mail. These are made of small steel links woven together, and they form a fabric so flexible that if you toss your shirt onto the floor, it slumps into a pile like a peck of wet fishnet. It's very heavy, and is nearly the uncomfortablest material in the world for a nightshirt. Yet plenty used it for that. Tax collectors and reformers and one-horse kings with a defective title, and those sorts of people. Then you put on your shoes, flat boats roofed over with interleaving bands of steel, and screw your clumsy spurs into the heels. Next you buckle your greaves on your legs and your quisses on your thighs. Then comes your backplate and your breastplate, and you begin to feel crowded. Then you hitch onto the breastplate the half-petticoat of broad overlapping bands of steel which hangs down in front but is scalloped out behind you so you can sit down and isn't any real improvement on an inverted coal scuttle, either for looks or for wear, or to wipe your hands on. Next you belt on your sword, then you put your stovepipe joints onto your arms, your iron gauntlets onto your hands, your iron rat trap onto your head, with a rag of steel web hitched onto it to hang over the back of your neck. And there you are, snug as a candle in a candle mold. This is no time to dance. Well, a man that is packed away like that is a nut that isn't worth the cracking. There is so little of the meat when you get down to it by comparison with the shell. The boys helped me, or I never could have got in. Just as we finished, Sir Bedivere happened in, and I saw that as like as not I hadn't chosen the most convenient outfit for a long trip. How stately he looked, and tall and broad and grand. He had on his head a conical steel cast that only came down to his ears, and for visor had only a narrow steel bar that extended down to his upper lip and protected his nose. And all the rest of him, from neck to heel, was flexible chain mail, trousers and all. But pretty much all of him was hidden under his outside garment, which of course was of chain mail, as I said, and hung straight from his shoulders to his ankles, and from his middle to the bottom, both before and behind, was divided, so that he could ride and let the skirts hang down on each side. He was going grailing, and it was just the outfit for it, too. I would have given a good deal for that ulster, but it was too late now to be fooling around. The sun was just up, the king and the corps were all on hand to see me off and wish me luck, so it wouldn't be etiquette for me to tarry. You don't get on your horse yourself. Oh, no. If you tried it, you would get disappointed. They carry you out, just as they carry a sunstruck man to the drugstore, and put you on, and help get you to rights, and fix your feet in the stirrups, and all the while you do feel so strange and stuffy, and like somebody else, like somebody that has been married on a sudden, or struck by lightning, or something like that, and hasn't quite fetched around yet, and is sort of numb, and can't just get his bearings. Then they stood up the mast they called a spear, 
in its socket by my left foot, and I gripped it with my hand. Lastly, they hung my shield around my neck, and I was all complete and ready to up anchor and get to sea. Everybody was as good to me as they could be, and a maid of honor gave me the stirrup cup her own self. There was nothing more to do now but for that damsel to get up behind me on a pillion, which she did, and put an arm or so around me to hold on. And so we started, and everybody gave us a good-bye and waved their handkerchiefs or helmets, and everybody we met going down the hill and through the village was respectful to us, except some shabby little boys on the outskirts. They said, Oh, what a guy! and hove clods at us. In my experience, boys are the same in all ages. They don't respect anything. They don't care for anything or anybody. They say, Go up, baldhead, to the prophet going his unoffending way in the gray of antiquity. They sassed me in the holy gloom of the Middle Ages, and I had seen them act the same way in Buchanan's administration, I remember, because I was there, and helped. The prophet had his bears and settled with his boys, and I wanted to get down and settle with mine, but I wouldn't answer, because I couldn't have got up again. I hate a country without a derrick. We'll return with Chapter 12, right after these sponsor messages. Discover why critics are calling Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes the best film of the franchise. What a wonderful day! It's a jaw-dropping spectacle that demands to be seen on the biggest screen possible. I need to go. Hang on. It is our time. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Now playing only in theaters. Rated PG-13. Some material may be inappropriate for children under 13. And now Chapter 12, Slow Torture. Straight off, we were in the country. It was most lovely and pleasant in those sylvan solitudes in the cool early morning in the first freshness of autumn. From hilltops we saw fair green valleys lying spread out below, with streams winding through them, and island groves of trees here and there, and huge lonely oaks scattered about casting black blots of shade. And beyond the valleys we saw the ranges of hills, blue with haze, stretching away in billowy perspective to the horizon, with at wide intervals a dim fleck of white or gray on a wave summit, which we knew was a castle. We crossed broad natural lawns sparkling with dew, and we moved like spirits, the cushioned turf giving out no sound of footfall. We dreamed along through glades in a mist of green light that got its tint from the sun-drenched roof of leaves overhead, and by our feet the clearest and coldest of runlets went frisking and gossiping over its reefs and making a sort of whispering music, comfortable to hear, and at times we left the world behind and entered into the solemn great deeps and rich gloom of the forest, where furtive wild things whisked and scurried by, and were gone before you could even get your eye on the place where the noise came from, and where only the earliest birds were turning out and getting to business with a song here and a quarrel yonder, and a mysterious far-off hammering and drumming for worms on a tree trunk away somewhere in the impenetrable remoteness of the woods. And by and by, out we would swing again into the glare. About the third or fourth or fifth time that we swung out into the glare, it was along there somewhere, a couple of hours or so after sunup, it wasn't as pleasant as it had been. It was beginning to get hot. This was quite noticeable. We had a very long pull after that, without any shade. Now it is curious how progressively little frets grow and multiply after they once get a start. Things which I didn't mind at all began to mind now, and more and more too, all the time. The first ten or fifteen times I wanted my handkerchief, I didn't seem to care. I got along, 
"'and said, "'Never mind, it isn't any matter, "'and dropped it out of my mind. "'But now it was different. "'I wanted it all the time. "'It was nag, 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 right along, and no rest. "'I couldn't get it out of my mind. "'And so at last I lost my temper, "'and said, "'Hang a man that would make a suit of armor "'without any pockets in it. "'You see, I had my handkerchief in my helmet, "'and some other things. "'But it was that kind of helmet "'you can't take off by yourself. "'That hadn't occurred to me when I put it there, "'and in fact I didn't know it. "'I suppose it would be particularly convenient there. "'And so now, the thought of its being there, "'so handy and close by, "'and yet not get atable, "'made it all the worse and the harder to bear. "'Yes, the thing that you can't get "'is the thing that you want, mainly. "'Everyone has noticed that. "'Well, it took my mind off from everything else, "'took it clear off, and centered it in my helmet.' "'and mile after mile there it stayed, "'imagining the handkerchief, "'picturing the handkerchief, "'and it was bitter and aggravating "'to have the salt sweat keep trickling down into my eyes, "'and I couldn't get at it. "'It seems like a little thing on paper, "'but it was not a little thing at all. "'It was the most real kind of misery. "'I would not say it if it wasn't so. "'I made up my mind that I would carry along "'a reticule next time, "'let it look how it might, "'and people say what they would.' "'Of course these iron dudes of the round table "'would think it was scandalous, "'and maybe Rees Sheol about it. "'But as for me, give me comfort first, "'and style afterwards.' "'So we jogged along, "'and now and then we struck a stretch of dust, "'and it would tumble up in clouds "'and get into my nose and make me sneeze and cry. "'And of course I said things I oughtn't to have said. "'I don't deny that. "'I am not any better than others. "'We couldn't seem to meet anybody "'in this lonesome Britain, "'not even an ogre.' "'and in the mood I was in then, it was well for the ogre. "'That is, an ogre with a handkerchief. "'Most knights would have thought of nothing but getting his armor. "'But so I got his bandana, he could keep his hardware, for all of me. "'Meantime, it was getting hotter and hotter in there. "'You see, the sun was beating down and warming up the iron more and more all the time. "'Well, when you're hot that way, every little thing irritates you. "'When I trotted, I rattled like a crate of dishes, and that annoyed me. "'and moreover I couldn't seem to stand that shield slatting and banging, "'now about my breast, now around my back. "'And if I dropped into a walk my joints creaked "'and screeched in that wearisome way that a wheelbarrow does. "'And as we didn't create any breeze at that gate, "'I was like to get fried in that stove. "'And besides, the quieter you went, "'the heavier the iron settled down on you, "'and the more and more tons you seemed to weigh every minute. "'And you had to be always changing hands "'and passing your spear over to the other foot.' It got so irksome for one hand to hold it long for a time. Well, you know, when you perspire that way, in rivers, there comes a time when you, when you, well, when you itch. You are inside. Your hands are outside. So there you are, nothing but iron between. It's not a light thing, let it sound as it may. First it is one place, then another, then some more. And it goes on spreading and spreading. "'and at last the territory is all occupied, "'and nobody can imagine what you feel like, "'nor how unpleasant it is. "'And when it had got to the worst, "'and it seemed to me that I couldn't stand anything more, "'a fly got in through the bars and settled on my nose, "'and the bars were stuck and wouldn't work, "'and I couldn't get the visor up, "'and I could only shake my head, "'which was baking hot by this time, "'and the fly... "'Well, you know how a fly acts when he's got a certainty.' "'He only minded the shaking enough to change from nose to lip, "'and then lip to ear, 
and then buzz and buzz all around in there, and keep on lighting and biting, in a way that a person, already so distressed as I was, simply could not stand. So I gave in, and got Alisande to unship the helmet and relieve me of it. Then she emptied the conveniences out of it, and fetched it full of water, and I drank, and then stood up, and she poured the rest down inside the armor. One cannot imagine how refreshing it was. She continued to fetch and pour until I was well-soaked and thoroughly comfortable. It was good to have a rest, and peace, but nothing is quite perfect in this life at any time. I had made a pipe a while back, and also some pretty fair tobacco, not the real thing, but what some of the Indians use, the inside bark of the willow, dried. These comforts had been in the helmet, and now I had them again, but no matches. Gradually, as the time wore along, one annoying fact was borne in upon my understanding, that we were weather-bound. An armed novice cannot mount his horse without help and plenty of it. Sandy was not enough, not enough for me anyway. We had to wait until somebody should come along. Waiting, in silence, would have been agreeable enough, for I was full of matter for reflection and wanted to give it a chance to work. I wanted to try and think out how it was that rational or even half-rational men could ever have learned to wear armor, considering its inconveniences, and how they had managed to keep up such a fashion for generations when it was plain that what I had suffered today they had had to suffer all the days of their lives. I wanted to think that out, and moreover I wanted to think out some way to reform this evil and persuade the people to let the foolish fashion die out. But thinking was out of the question in the circumstances. You couldn't think where Sandy was. She was a quite biddable creature and good-hearted, but she had a flow of talk that was as steady as a mill and made your head sore like the drays and wagons in a city. If she had had a cork, she would have been a comfort. But you can't cork that kind. They would die. Her clack was going all day, and you would think something would surely happen to her works, by and by. But no, they never got out of order, and she never had to slack up for words. She could grind and pump and chum and buzz by the week. It never stopped to oil up or blow out. And yet the result was just nothing but wind. She never had any ideas, any more than a fog has. She was a perfect blatherskite. I mean for jaw, jaw, talk, 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 jabber, 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 but just as good as she could be. I hadn't minded her mill that morning on account of having that hornet's nest of other troubles, but more than once in the afternoon I had to say, Take a rest, child. The way you're using up all the domestic air, the kingdom will have to go importing it by tomorrow, and it's a low enough treasury without that. Thanks for joining us for these two chapters of A Connecticut Yankee in King Arthur's Court. Join us next week Sunday night for chapters 13 and 14. Until then, everyone, if you have a moment, please do send a review. We appreciate reviews very much. This is 1001 Stories for the Road, and this is your host, John Hagedorn. We'll return next Sunday night at 6 p.m. Eastern Time. Until then, everyone, stay safe, and we'll be back soon.